Hey Peebles for the People listeners, I'm Peyton Moreland. And I'm Garrett Moreland. And this is Murder With My Husband, a true crime podcast. We bring you a unique perspective on true crime podcasting because I absolutely love it. And I hate it. I cannot comprehend the fascination with true crime. Listen as I venture into the darkest crimes by telling Garrett a different true crime story each week to get his reaction and discuss how we see each of the morbid details differently. Two Point of Views, One True Crime Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you choose to listen. I love it. And I hate it. Goodbye. Stay up to date on the latest from Heidi Ellen's story. Make sure you subscribe, download, follow, and rate Peebles for the People on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to your podcasts. It was April 3rd, 1994, a snowy Easter Sunday just before 8 in the morning when Heidi made her last transaction at the D&W convenience store in Mexico where she worked and then disappeared. But the big question remains tonight, where is Heidi Allen? They said they grabbed her from behind the counter and dragged her out the door and threw her in the back of Michael Bohr's van. I do know Michael Bohr had a white van. Well, it's not even, they didn't even bring her in the house. They didn't send the van. What do you think happened to Heidi? What was done with her body? He laid down in two areas, which was a sign. It's an indication that there were human remains. All I know is they ended up chopping her up. If they would have put that van on my trailer and Heidi would have been in that van, that's where it would have went, right to the shredder. I've been in this from day one. There's nothing else I can tell you. This is the story of Heidi Allen, the story of a small town kidnapping where corruption got in the way of justice. The truth is finally coming out. Last episode, we heard from Tanya Priest. She went into detail about what she had been told regarding Heidi's kidnapping. The Oswego County Sheriff's ultimately determined that Priest wasn't credible. But Priest wasn't the only one who reported that James Thumperstein bragged about killing Heidi. Investigator James Petrosky took a written statement from Megan Shaw, who said Steen made admissions to her too. But the similar statements given by multiple people were chalked up as not credible by the police. Well, they don't. You can't understand the people we're dealing with here. They lie all the time. Okay. This is Peebles for the People, and I'm Alex Peebles. I don't know what the world's been missing, but I think we need a miracle. I'm tired of being held and I'm tired of watching these people die. On May 2nd, 2013, Megan Shaw gave her statement to investigator James Petrosky. Quote, My husband Sidney Shaw and I were sitting in the living room when James Steen came over. I know James was drugged up when he came over. He was on a rampage about his wife Vicky and how he was going to kill her. I sat there and laughed at him and said, No, you wouldn't kill Vicky. You wouldn't do that. That's when James started talking about Heidi Allen. James said, You want to make a bet? I helped dispose of Heidi Allen. He said Heidi was trying to get her boyfriend out of the gang vicious circle and trying to get people in trouble 
that were in the gang. So one night, she was taken from her work by members of the gang. James said they killed her and that he helped dispose of her body in a cabin in the woods off of State Route 69, across from the new storage units between County Route 22 and Crosby Road. A few weeks later, James was picking up his vehicle from my house, and again, he said he was going to kill Vicky. I told him, no you won't, you're just pissed off. James said, I already told you about Heidi, I will kill Vicky. Those are the only times that James has ever mentioned Heidi Allen to me. End quote. Syracuse Post Standard reporter John O'Brien also interviewed Megan Shaw about what Steen had told her. He helped members of the gang dispose her body out there. Did he say where they killed her or what they did? He didn't say where they killed her. Or how? But he didn't say how. It just All I know is they ended up chopping her up. Obviously, they've been told this story more than once. The police have, and they brush it off like it's nothing. Yeah. Steen denies all allegations about being involved in Heidi's abduction. Is there any truth to these statements? To get a better understanding of who Steen really is, we need to look no further back than September of 2010. We were all partying, drinking beers, having a grand old time, and he was there. Who, Steen? Steen was there, and he was on a motorcycle. And I remember he come up to me and said, can you give me a ride to my house so I can drop the bike off before I have too much to drink? I figured, you know, whatever, fair enough, straight down the road. So I drove him to his house. He dropped the motorcycle off. He went in, changed his clothes, come out. I went back to the party where we were all at drinking and everything and I got drunk and I was like oh you know so I called my I think it was my older brother or someone I called someone to get a ride home and uh he had asked me for a ride home and I was like dude I'm way too drunk I'm not driving Mm -hmm. I was like if you want just you know you're less than a mile away just take my truck to your house right and then call me in the morning and I'll get a ride over and pick my truck up okay well, I woke up the next morning with a fucking hangover. I turned the TV on, and there's my fucking truck front and center on the news with cops around and guns in their hand. After that night of drinking, Steen grabbed his shotgun and drove to an apartment complex in Pulaski, New York, where his estranged wife, Vicki Steen, was living. Oh, somebody just pulled up. And we're in Pulaski and Greenwich, Greenwich Deer Apartments on Lewis Street, and some guy just got out of the truck, and he had a shotgun, and he shot two... He shot, he shot two rounds off out of here. Okay, where is this? Grenadier Apartments on, in Plaskaya, 9 Lewis Street. Hurry up. I, I think I don't know if he shot anybody or not. Here's Steen talking to police about what happened that day. Right when I got to Vicky's apartment, I shut the truck off, loaded the 12-gauge. How many rounds did you put in? I had a box in my pocket and four or five in this chamber. While listening to this part, you hear Steen say he sent Dustin outside. Dustin was Steen's two-year-old son. And I want to warn you, what you're about to hear is disturbing and maybe upsetting to some. Okay. What happened when you got to Plaska? I walked into the apartment, held the gun on them, had Dustin leave the room, 
walk outside, and as I come back around, Chucky was proceeding towards me to try to stop me. I shot her. Went to rack the gun. Me and Chucky wrestled around for 10, 15 minutes. Gun went off while we were wrestling around. Uh, got out of the bathroom, back into the living room. I hit him, jumped up off of him, grabbed the gun, shot him. Okay. What did you use to shoot him with? A Mossberg 12-gauge. Uh, now, you said you shot Victoria. How many times did you shoot One. Once? Where did you shoot her? Right in the chest. Right in the chest. With a Mossberg, and you said it was a 12-gauge. Um, how about Chucky? Where did you shoot Back of the head. Back of the head. Because he was on the floor after I come up off of him, I grabbed him. Charles Carr, or Chucky, as Steen referred to him as, was his cousin who began seeing Vicky after their estrangement. This horrific crime turned into a seven-hour standoff with police. Now, what happened after that? Uh, Dustin came running to the door, knocked on the door. I wouldn't let him in. I opened the door. He started to come in. He goes, Daddy, cops are here. I said, stay out there, son. I shut the door, locked it. During the standoff, police were able to make contact with Steen. Jay, we need you to come out and we need to be there. You have two children that you need and that, that they need you. You need to be there for them. No, Jay. No. We're not. Jay, we're not. I'm not going to shoot you, Jay. You mean to tell me if I shoot you, you're not going to shoot me? I know better than that. Jay, listen, man. Come on. After Steen eventually gave himself up, he was photographed by police. In the picture, he looked horrible. His eyes were bloodshot, his belt was twisted around, his pants pockets were inside out, and his shirt that read, It's all fun and games until the cops show up, was partially untucked and covered in filth. At some point during the standoff, Steen received a text message that could have been alluding to his involvement in the kidnapping of Heidi Allen. The text message he received came from his buddy, Jonathan Barkley's phone. It read, Heidi question mark, chow. Investigator Petrosky questioned Barkley about that text message but Barkley denied sending it and had no legitimate explanation as to how that text could have been sent from his phone. Somebody texts from your phone and says, Heidi, question mark. <laughs> I didn't text that, so it had to have been someone using my phone. I don't even know a Heidi. So you don't know what this is in, in, in reference to? This... No, I don't know who Heidi would be. I have no clue. Okay, so that that's why I'm that's this is you back on that day. Your phone that you said you had. Right. The only thing I can think of honestly is he might have used my phone. Cause I don't know Heidi and I No, this was this phone texting him. Texting his number. Oh, I don't know who that would be then. I I'm not gonna I'm not lying to you that that's not my wasn't my number because it was. Mm -hmm. But what I'm saying is I don't know who could have been using my phone because there's no I don't know a Heidi or anything like that. I don't know who could have used my phone. But you said you you would have had your phone, so nobody used your phone. 
No, I have my phone on me all the time. Right. If someone needed to use my phone, then I would just, here, use my phone. Gotcha. Because, you know what I mean? I'm not. So back on that day when this was going on, did you have, did you text him? Did you, do you remember? No, you I don't, re I don't ever remember texting him or receiving any text from him. That's why I'm, that's why I'm kind of confused here. Like it, it had to have been someone that used my phone. I just can't picture who the. But then who there the was a call. A call. He called. Somebody called him too. Huh. Your phone calls, and then your phone texts him. Yeah, I. I honestly, I got no fucking clue. My brother calls me. He's like, "What in the fuck is your truck doing on the news?" I'm like, "Huh?" Turn the news on, and there it is. I'm like, "Are you shitting me?" Because at that time, him and Vicky were arguing, and so at that time they were going back and forth arguing, and uh, I just, you know, I'd hear bits and pieces, the fucking oh, effing cunt, and this and that, and so then you'd see your rah rah rah. You see your car and or truck on the news, and so what my immediate thing would be like, I'd be fucking calling him, right? Yeah, that's so you, what I and I fucking I called, and there was no answer. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Because Jay, um, Jay McGillicuddy was friends with Steen also. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, well, maybe Jay knows what the hell's going on. So I called Jay and I'm like, dude, what the fuck is going on? Why is my truck in Pulaski surrounded by fucking cops? Oh, Thumper fucking duh, duh, just went off and fucking shot her and this and that. I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah. I was like, well, what the fuck is my truck doing there? He must have took it. Oh, awesome. Isn't this fucking sweet? So this phone, your phone is texting and saying Heidi. Is this in reference to Heidi Allen? You know, you're familiar with the Heidi Allen case. I've heard of it. I seen just not too long ago. It was all over the news for like two weeks. So is this, in, is, is this what it is in reference to when you say Heidi? When Whoever. I, this text here says Heidi question. I have no clue. Honestly. So it, you're, it's not, is it in reference to the Heidi Allen case? I don't know. I don't know what they're even talking about. I don't know who would have fucking even texted to get that to my phone. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm getting at. I'm not lying to you. No, no, I I'm just, saying. Is I it, don't know where the fuck that would be coming from. I'm not saying you're lying, buddy. I'm asking you, is this you texting this saying something no, about the Heidi Allen case? No, that was not me. That's my phone number, but that was not me that was texting that, no. So who was with you at Jay's when you woke up? Anybody there? No, just, um, no, no one was there. So Barkley just said no one was there with him and he always had his phone on him. So it's difficult to imagine how anyone else could have sent that text message. But investigators didn't take the opportunity to press him any further other than asking what he had heard about the case. Barkley denied knowing anything other than rumors that he had heard over the years. And that was that. O'Brien also interviewed Barkley about the text. And Barkley came out from the start denying he even knew Steen. Like okay. I told Greg Oaks, I met the guy one time. I've okay. seen him around a handful of times. But you, you were out with him the night before. I mean, the, the, right. when you, okay. Well, Barkley knew Steen well enough to lend him his truck that night of drinking. And 
In his interview with police, Steen referred to Barkley as his buddy. What Barkley was saying to both investigators and O'Brien just wasn't adding up. So, okay, but the question is, when you woke up, I guess, at McGillicuddy's, you told the cops you were alone. Right. And and you called Steen because you saw your truck on the TV. On the was, TV. So you called him, and then a minute he after... He didn't answer, so right. then I was going to try and get a hold of McGillicuddy. Right. And then... Who was already on his way, Who was already on his way there, <clears throat> so, so it didn't do me no good to try and get a hold of right. either one of them. So the question was, a minute after that phone call is this Heidi text. And if you're home, if you're there alone, who could have possibly sent it? It came from your phone. So how, what's the explanation? I don't know. I don't remember. Okay. I don't even recognize that text. That's what I tried to explain. Okay. They showed it to you? I was trying to show it to you, but you didn't want they to. They showed me the whole freaking okay. layout of the whole right. month worth of phone calls. Right. And that's just, <laughs> and I, think, I told I think you're them only in that twice. I didn't recognize it. And then they turned right. around and they asked Steen the same thing on the stand. Right, right. And he yeah. didn't recognize right. it. Right. Right. Well, if two people don't recognize it, then obviously it means nothing. I'm not sure about the logic there, since it's indisputable that the text message was sent from Barkley's phone to Steen during the seven-hour standoff after Barkley saw his truck on the news. But Barkley wouldn't budge. But I mean, it, is, it did bottom, come from your dude, phone, I cannot though. That's, do it no the more. problem is it comes from your phone. That's the thing. Dude, it was five years ago. No, I know, I know, but it still it came from your phone. That's why they're, that's why they're interested. Phones are fucking recyclable, and I told them that during that time my oh. phone came up missing. Oh, but this... They this, already told you all this. That's what no, I mean. No, no, no. The lack of fucking communication between no, no, no. you and a Swiggle is fucking gone. No, no, no. I, I saw the text. The timing of it was right a minute after you called. So if, if it was recycled, it would have been recycled long after you made that call. Listen, Steam, dude, right? you're not catching the fucking point. Okay. What, right. what am I missing? Cell phone numbers are recyclable. Okay. So what, how, how could this have happened if it was recycled? Well, if my phone wasn't working, then how the fuck could I send a text message? No, but if you called... The phone was broken. Oh, okay. Okay, I told Oaks that. But you, call, why... you did call him, right? You called Steam? I oh, called did... him because I wanted to know why my truck was on right, the I know, I know why you called, and but you did call. And then they didn't answer. I, I don't remember seeing a fucking text. I was okay. just as blown away when they showed it to me. Okay. Because I sat there for an hour trying to think back on how maybe it ring a bell where the t- why and where the top I don't know. All right. All right. I I'm told the I told Greg Oak said I told the fucking dickhead investigator the same thing. You people just don't know enough right. to give up. I'm, I'm going to leave now. Leave leave you alone. Good. I'll bother you again. Right. I just let you know Bye. I will not bother you again. Yep. All right. Thanks. By now you've heard the hype surrounding this awesome new puzzle game called Best Fiends. Let me tell you, this game is fun and challenging. I play it all the time. It gives me a chance to get away from my work, which can be so draining. Best Fiends gives me a chance to escape while still keeping my brain engaged solving puzzles. The best part is, it gives my sister and I a chance to have some friendly competition while staying socially distant. This is more than just another puzzle game. With a whole world to explore, this game takes you on an adventure in the palm of your hand, and you can play from anywhere. No Wi-Fi or bandwidth is needed. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this 5-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends.
Do you have a story that you want told by a pro? Well, now you can have a podcast that is tailored to you. Made to Order Podcast works with you to learn your story, write a -a one-of-a-kind script, and produce a professional-level podcast just for you. Look, getting up in front of the room and giving a toast at your friend's wedding? Not the easiest thing to do. But now, you can just go to madetoorderpodcast.com and they'll create the perfect wedding toast for you that you and your friends will have forever. No matter the event, Made to Order Podcast is the perfect gift. Whether it's a birthday, a graduation, an anniversary, whatever it is, Made to Order Podcast is the way to go. Include your favorite memories, inside jokes, and funny stories. The possibilities here are endless. And whatever your idea is, they'll work with you to make sure your idea comes to life. And it's all digital, which is great in the era of COVID-19. You can send your made-to-order podcast anywhere in the world with Wi-Fi. Enter promo code PEEBLES, that's P-E-E-B-L-E-S, at checkout for $20 off your very own personalized podcast. Go to madetoorderpodcast.com to start creating your story today. Steen was convicted of the murders of his estranged wife, Vicki West, and his cousin, Chuck Carr Jr. Steen was sentenced to life in prison without the chance of parole. He is serving his sentence at the Maximum Security Five Points Correctional Facility in Romulus, New York. I've tried to get in touch with Steen to talk about Heidi's kidnapping. I wrote him multiple letters and spoke with several people trying to get in touch with the superintendent of the facility. After my unsuccessful attempts at contacting Steen, I hopped in my car and drove to the prison to see if I could catch him during normal visitation hours. It was about a two-hour drive, and when I got there, it was a sobering feeling. I was about to enter a maximum security prison to talk to a convicted murderer and ask him about a kidnapping. I was in the waiting area with a handful of other people, and we were all filling out paperwork. It became clear, though, that we were there for completely different reasons. After handing in my paperwork, the guard looked up at me and asked how I knew Steen. I said I didn't know Steen, and that I was there hoping to talk with him about his alleged involvement in an unsolved kidnapping. I was turned away right then. I knew that was a long shot, but I figured that was a chance I needed to take, since I hadn't gotten anywhere mailing letters or calling the prison. I don't think I'll ever be able to ask Steen questions about Heidi's kidnapping, but the Oswego County Sheriffs were able to ask Steen those questions in March of 2013. He denied the allegations, and that was that. Quote, I know nothing about it. I never told anyone that I had anything to do with it, and I do not know what happened to her. End quote. In an interview with John O'Brien, Listen to the head of the Oswego County Sheriff's Office, Sheriff Rural Todd, talk about James Steen. Again, that was a crime of passion. Right. The whole thing, you know, and uh, uh, he was very, afterwards, um, distraught over the fact he did it. It was just a moment of passion and, right. and those, but, and from what everybody tells us, actually, he was not a bad guy. We listened to Steen talking about the double murder after he committed it. Listen to it again. Does this sound like someone who was distraught about what they did? I held the gun on them, 
had Dustin leave the room, walk outside, and as I come back around, Chucky was proceeding towards me to try to stop me. I shot her. Went to rack the gun. Me and Chucky wrestled around for 10, 15 minutes. Gun went off while we were wrestling around. Uh, got out of the bathroom, back into the living room. I hit him, jumped up off of him, grabbed the gun, shot him. Okay. What did you use to shoot him with? A Mossberg uh, 12 gauge. Chuck Carr Jr. was shot execution style in the back of the head. And Chuck's family, who were related to Steen and knew him his entire life, disagreed with Sheriff Todd's assessment. James Steen would not have been out of jail on walking this earth to get a hold of our son to kill him. Our son would still be alive the second time. The first time is if he was convicted and taken care of when Heidi Allen was abducted and they convicted him, James Steen of that, he would not have been out of jail to get to Vicky and Chucky to kill him. And he's always been a shady character, mm -hmm. Steen. In February of 2010, nine months before her murder, Vicki pressed charges against Steen. According to the police report, Steen, who weighed more than 300 pounds, nearly choked Vicki to death. Quote, He became very angry and pushed me flat onto the couch and sat on top of me. James then placed his hands on my neck and began choking me. While this was happening, I was trying to tell him to stop. While he was choking me, he said, I don't know if I'm going to let you up off this couch, dead or alive. I tried to get up, and he said again, I'm not done with you. At one point, I blacked out and woke up to him still sitting on top of me. End quote. According to the report, this all happened in front of their two-year-old son, who repeatedly screamed for his mother. After the attack, Steen loaded the kids up into his truck and told Vicky to leave, or he would kill her. Could all of this information coming to the surface just be chalked up to coincidence? That seemed unlikely, because multiple people had eerily similar stories about Steen bragging. On top of that, Jen Westcott admitted that Heidi was brought in a van by Steen, Bohr, and Breckenridge to a home that she was at. Multiple people said they heard Heidi was burned dismembered and buried at a cabin in the woods, including Megan Shaw, who said Steen showed her where the cabin was using satellite images. Telling me that he he knows those people, and he's known them for years, and yeah. bought the house brand new, and there's no cabin out there. I said, really? Then why did, how did Jay show me a picture of it? He showed you a picture of the cabin? Yeah. Of he, the cabin? He did something like this with a mm. GPS-type deal thing, but oh. the the one he brought up, the picture he brought up was from years prior in the middle of winter where you could actually see the cabin hmm. in the woods. You don't remember how far it, uh, it no. was out there. No, I mean. but it's a hike. It's a hike from the house. If you go to that house, you go in their backyard, hmm. and you just travel those woods going straight, you are going to run into it one way or and another. She, she might be out there. Wow. When he pulled that picture up, when Jay pulled that picture up and showed me that cabin in the middle of winter, surrounded by all those woods, that's when I knew he wasn't playing around. Oh. 
that he actually really does know something about right. Heidi. And again, you feel you obviously feel bad that she's out there in the family. Yeah, and nobody, nobody, nobody's done anything. Yeah. Police say they searched for a cabin that was referenced in multiple statements, but they couldn't find one, so it must not have been true. Listen to Sheriff Todd talking about their investigation into the new information. But before I play this, I want to give you some perspective. This conversation was recorded a year and a half after Jen Westcott was questioned by police. Also, this clip is much longer than what I would normally play, but I thought it was important for you to get the full picture. A few weeks ago, he said that you guys you know, followed up on everything Tanya Priest told you about the Heidi Fallon case, and they basically didn't find her credible at all, and nothing. So tell me about that. What, what do we need to know about her that you know? What that led you to that conclusion? Uh, there's not much we can tell you. Um, I'm not going to get into her condition, obviously, uh, as we deem it, but none of the story that she told us basically followed out. There is no camp. There is no anything involved in what she told us. That correct, right? Okay. Um, what, and the, what about Megan Shaw, um, who also said Steen told her something? We'd have to check that. It's not a name I'm familiar with. Uh, they weren't involved 20 years ago, I can tell you that. Okay. Um, Megan Shaw is... Tanya Priest, you're going to have to talk more with the DA because he's the one that brought her back yeah. here. I'll talk to him today. Um, okay, good. But, you're, but your detective or your investigator was involved in the conversation with the DA on the phone that I heard, and he, he, he interviewed her himself, right, Petrosky? Oh, oh, film? A phone. I'm sorry, phone. I said that. There was a phone call between the DA and Tanya Priest, and I think Petrosky was involved in that interview. I could be wrong, but it might have been Rojak, um, depending okay. on the timeline. Okay. It's not that important, but okay. So, but then at some point, um, you guys or the DA or someone arranged a secretly recorded phone call between Tanya Priest and Jennifer Westcott, correct? That, that was before. That probably was the DA. You'll probably have to ask him. Okay, but definitely Petrosky was involved in that. Um, he, he's, he's, he's one of our uh, best interviewers, yes. so I'm not the least bit surprised. He yeah. was an investigator. Rojak was because they're, they're two of our best guys when it comes to interviews. Okay. Um, but are you aware of what Jennifer Westcott said in that recorded interview? I'm not, not, and I don't know the name Jennifer Westcott. Oh. I, don't, I don't know who she is. I have oh. no idea who Jennifer Westcott is. Wow. Uh, she, Tanya called her and said, you know, do you remember what you told me about uh, Thumper and uh, Breckenridge and Border bringing Heidi to your house that morning? She there was something that I recall in that conversation mm -hmm. that did not turn out to be credible at all. We, we've shagged all the, anything Tanya's given Anything that well, she told us. We well, I mean, this, this is a recording of a woman who doesn't know she's talking, that the police are listening. I think she's talking to a friend, and she says, they, "Okay, go ahead." She says, "Yeah, they brought her there. They made her sit in the van. It's been bothering yep. me, and uh, I got that shit out." Of I my believe head. that's the one that said, "Yeah, she she knows that she and would just go along with her just because if she didn't, she talked forever or something, if I remember correctly." But again, oh, you're asking us to look at uh, to remember right off the bat. There, we have. Um, hundreds and hundreds of interviews that we've done at yes. this. And you're asking a specific question over something that really, 
I mean, you'd have to ask the investigator, not me. Okay, can I talk to no, him? No, because he's not here. Is he still working here? Or? Oh, yeah. Okay. Can I get, reach him by phone? Um, I have no idea. I'm sure, we'll say who it is. And, yeah. Okay, it was Petrosky. Okay. Um, and uh, the, the phone call seems pretty significant. Um, she doesn't sound like she's just telling Tanya what she wants to hear. It's, I mean, that, we all know what that sounds like. Okay, whatever, Tanya, here. But no, she's agreeing. Yes, they came here. I, they left her in the van. They didn't bring her out. Um, I tried to get that out of my head. She said she didn't come forward because she's afraid of certain people. Um, and then there's, after that, five days later, Petrovsky interviews her in a videotaped interview where he asks her without her being aware that she had been recorded in this phone call. Prior, you mean? Yes, so five days after the phone call, yep. Petrovsky brings her in and asks her what she knows about Heidi Allen. She says nothing. All I know is I got a call from this crazy bitch, Tanya, a priest, and I told her I didn't know what you were talking about. I don't know what you're talking about, which is a lie. Okay. And, and, and Petrosky ends up confronting her with that, saying, saying, well, we have a recording. I just listened to it. You said Tanya was brought to your house on that morning. She says, well, she must, someone must have doctored the tape. This Tanya must have doctored the tape. Well, we know that's not true because you guys, your office okay. was involved. And then she says, well, okay, well, uh, she said she kind of acted like, well, I, what do I do now? I'm, I'm in big trouble. And uh, Petrosky ends up telling her, don't worry about it. You're not in trouble. We're not going to arrest you. Yeah. And she says, then she says, I was just telling this woman what she wanted to hear. Okay. And he says, okay, just take, give me a statement like that and we're done. Okay. That's what I said. Okay. okay. Right. But can I, where are you getting this from? I have the video. <clears throat> And I have the, um, the phone call. Okay, but where did you get it from? I can't tell you that. I, I can't. I'm sorry. That's okay. Probably, I can't. I, 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 oh, why? Because you're you're coming here <laughs> asking me to give you all this information. Right. Uh, and I so got, I'm I, going I, to answer I, you from now on. I'm not going to tell you where I get it from. And so then what are we going you, to do? Sometimes you can do that. I mean, there are times when well, you have to say that. And I, I, had, I made an agreement with this source. That if, if you give me this, I promise not to reveal where I got it. Otherwise, I don't get it. I we do this all the time. It, but it, I just... I know where you got okay, it, all right. and I know the DA provided her with it, us. so it doesn't matter. But okay. all right, go ahead. So, given that she admits that, like I said, it was all—I just go along with her just because I don't want to talk to her because I know she's a crazy bitch. Okay, but first of all, first she lied about it. Well, they do. You gotta understand the people we're dealing with here—they lie all the time. Okay, okay. Do you think she was lying in the phone call? with Tanya when she doesn't know anyone's listening. Yeah, okay. well, because you're only hearing this. You don't know the rest of the investigation okay. that tied into the ages okay. and where the people lived and everything else the ages? at the time. The, the, I'm sorry? Ages of the people that we're, we're talking about. We're talking 20 years ago. Right. Yeah. How old would some of these people have been uh, that she's taught? Jennifer was 18. Right. Um, so I'm, how is that significant? I, I don't, where was she when she was 18? She's, uh, apparently she was living on Rice Road, is what she told Tanya, with, with this Roger Breckenridge. Um, and okay. again, you would have to check into, was she? Right. We have people who said she was. She says she wasn't in the interview with Petrosky. Right. Um, but in that interview with Petrosky, uh, it just, 
I had to wonder watching it whether he why didn't he press her harder and just why didn't he say well look you, you lied to me well again you're a reporter mm -hmm. our people are trained to investigate yes the lack of interest in the investigation of Heidi's kidnapping expressed by Sheriff Todd begs the question how hard did police really look for a cabin in the woods Sheriff Todd seemed mighty confident that no such cabin existed but the Oswego County Sheriff's weren't the only ones conducting an investigation. Gary Thibodeau now had a team of people ready to do whatever they could to find out what really happened to Heidi Allen. Among them, federal public defender Lisa Peebles. It was November of 2013 when Dick kind of dragged me over into the woods in Parrish and we were wandering around in our dress clothes. It was muddy. Uh, it was hunting season. I felt very uncomfortable walking around. I felt out of place. We were on pri property. I didn't know whose property it was. So um, again, I hadn't been, I wasn't familiar with the extent or nature of the new evidence other than that a woman had said her remains were buried under the floorboard of a cabin somewhere in the woods. So after that excursion with Dick in the woods, he had me sit down and listen to an audio recording with a woman named Tanya Priest and a woman uh, by the name of Jennifer Westcott, who apparently was the girlfriend at some point of one of the three new suspects. And I listened to the recording and I c couldn't believe what I was listening to. It right away convinced me that Gary Thibodeau didn't have anything to do with Heidi Allen's kidnapping. And again, even not knowing anything about the case that they had against Gary, um, it wasn't anything I was ever really involved with or had much knowledge of. I, I only knew from years ago that one brother was convicted and the other had been acquitted. So then um, <clears throat> he then had me watch the video interview of Jennifer Westcott with Petrosky a couple days following the um, monitored phone call with Tanya Priest. And again, I had been, I've been a criminal defense attorney for more than 20 years, and I've seen many police interrogations. And the manner in which Petrosky was interviewing Jennifer Westcott is not the manner in which an interrogation would go if they were trying to get information from the person they were actually interviewing or interrogating. Um, it was really quite disturbing to to watch. I didn't know at the time whether Petrosky was incompetent and not capable of conducting interrogations or whether he was simply trying to cover up the truth. Either way, it was really troubling to me. So at that point, I really became invested in trying to figure out how to help this guy out, Gary Thibodeau, I never even met. John O'Brien would soon assist in the search for a cabin, and it wasn't long before they found not one, but two cabins matching the description of a cabin mentioned by multiple witnesses. We went door-to-door uh, -door in the area of um, near Rice Road where Tanya Priest had said that Steen told her uh, Heidi was buried under the floorboards of a cabin. Um, we knocked on a, just a few doors before we found someone who said, oh yeah, there's a cabin back in the woods so many yards back. 
and uh, and so we decided well we got to go look at that so the three of us went back Dick Ed and I found the cabin um, it was a collapsed cabin um, but there were floorboards and you know we got excited about this we thought this I mean could Heidi be under there her bones um, so we made sure we knew how to get back to it and it I don't know how much longer it was before we decided to go and dig up pull up the boards um, I had to talk to my editors and our lawyers about how we're gonna do this because I mean it's not every day probably never that a reporter is going looking for a body um, and we made a decision not to tell the sheriff's department because we realized that we may never get to see what's under the boards anybody because the sheriff's department had a reason to um, kind of hide the truth in this case and they had the biggest part was they had been given a chance to look for a cabin they had the same information for over a year and had found no cabin so we decided we're gonna do it um, the lawyer said you can go back with a photographer filming the entire thing so that any, if anything is found no one can say you know someone planted these bones so photographer and a videographer and I went back with Ed and Dick uh, in July of 2014 and the two of them pulled up the boards but found nothing after that we um, I interviewed the sheriff and his underlings uh, at length got him on video he told me well there is no cabin there isn't there never was a cabin he was insistent and he said the whole thing was baloney I didn't tell him at that point we had we had already been searching and then in a couple days later we published a story about the new evidence in the post standard and and the fact that there was a the story was that Heidi was uh, buried under the floorboards of a cabin near Rice Road in Mexico that story is published on a Thursday on Saturday so two days later it's very it's very big news all over TV went crazy um, I was on the news being interviewed about it so everyone was you know riveted on this story I get a text on Saturday from someone who says I know where there's another cabin and we came we went back there with uh, you know tools to pull up boards ready to do it again and see if we could find her um, and the videographer and, and, and photographer with me too again so this is on a Sunday morning around 10 a.m. we get back to the cabin and it was a shock what we saw the place had been dug up already it was clear that someone had recently been there the the boards were pulled up um, stuff was thrown all over you could see it had recently been dug through and there was a path leading out away from the you know through you could see it the weeds were the plants were knocked down someone had left there so of course our thought was okay this is we made this story public everyone's talking about it did the kidnappers come back here grab the bones and run and that was we were just frantic about that like we got to get the police right away there was no denying that there was a cabin in the woods where Tanya priest and Megan Shaw said there was but when the sheriffs got the call about the cabin, they refused to go. Finding the cabin 
corroborated what Priest and Shaw had said about the kidnapping of Heidi Allen. This cabin could be where Heidi was. This cabin could hold the answers to questions that had gone unanswered for more than two decades. Why would police refuse to go and search it for Heidi's remains? And they had called law enforcement because they wanted somebody to go there to check to see whether or not you know, there were remains. They didn't want to disturb the area because it looked like somebody was traipsing around there right before they got there. And, um, you know, because of the media attention, and in fact, that's how we found out about this collapsed structure. So um, I show up, and then the Allen family showed up. That is Russ Sturtz and his wife, Martha. They pulled up in a van, and they said they were told by the sheriff's department that they weren't planning on coming. So I called Oaks. I hadn't met the man before. I didn't know anything about him. I called him, introduced myself, told him what was going on, and I asked him whether he would meet me there, and he said he would. So he shows up there, um, and he walks to the scene where you know the structure was. He gets on the phone, and 45 minutes later, I think it was when the sheriff's department agreed to actually show up there. So it was more than an hour before anyone even like showed up after Oaks made the call. Then they were told that they were going to um, mark the area off and that they were going to do a dig the following day. And I asked whether I could be present for it because I frankly didn't trust the sheriff's investigators at all. I didn't think they wanted to get to the bottom of it. So they told me no, that we couldn't be there for it. Um, They were going to have somebody staked out there overnight and then have people start in the morning. And um, what happened was that morning, I got a, the very ne- the next day, the next morning, I got a call from Oaks. And he told me that a cadaver dog indicated for the presence of human remains. Did that dog lead police to Heidi Allen's burial site? Find out on the next episode of Peebles for the People. that free man go Lord, won't you let that free man go Lord, won't you let that free man go Lord, won't you let that free man go Stay up to date on Heidi Allen's story by following and subscribing to Peoples for the People on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to your podcasts.